This is Game On, discussing the biggest games and all the latest sports news with Johnny Montabano and Hank and Dichter on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Yes, once again, I am here. Once again, there is no Johnny. There is a different Salvano in this world. Hi, everybody. Salvano here alongside Hank and Victor. Welcome to a very special episode of Game On. It is episode number 50. Game On hits the big 5-0 this week. That is what we call our golden episode, if you know that terminology, but... It, I must say, it does. I, if you had told me that I would have been doing this episode without Johnny, I probably would have looked at you like you had three heads. But here we are. We got another week of the old switcheroo, much like April Fool's Day '97 with Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. But Tom, how's it going? I'm doing all right, Hank. And yeah, little switcheroo at the network this week, as I talked about on here and I talked about on ETB. Johnny will be taking my place this week on Empty the Bench as Nick Morgison returns this Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. But that's neither here or there. This is episode number 50 of Game On. Make sure you hit that like button. Make sure to subscribe and hit the notification bell. Uh, Also remember to tune in on the uh, audio-only platforms, all your favorite podcasting platforms like Spotify, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast. If you don't want to see Hank or I's faces and you just want to hear us, uh, and those of you who are listening on those audio platforms, again, we also have a YouTube feed, so make sure to go to youtube.com slash ETB Network. Make sure to like and uh, make sure to follow Game On across social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Game On ETB and at Game On underscore ETB. Uh, make sure to go to etbpodcast.com. All the latest. Hank actually just put up a couple of blogs on there. Uh, one talking about the Knicks, one talking about the Rangers as those guys are now getting into the midst of their playoff runs. All right, a lot we got to get into. Let me just break down the show a little bit. We're going to begin with a lot of NFL talk. We, of course, have some, as of the time we're recording, breaking news that Jalen Hurts is now the new highest-paid player in NFL history, a term that seems to be getting thrown around a lot of the quarterbacks over the last, I don't know, five, six years. Uh, Updates to the Lamar Jackson story we talked about last week. Uh, we have an update to the Mavericks situation, one of which I have a feeling myself and Hank here are not very happy about. Uh, Miles Bridges in news. We have a lot of hockey talk. It's our hockey pr- preview. The NHL playoffs started last night. The Rangers and Devils about to drop the puck at the time that this is airing uh, for game one of their series. We got uh, and John Curley will be invading the Rockets. That, that happens. Jonathan Taos, of course, we'll talk about. Taos. Uh, we'll talk about a bunch of NFL, uh, NHL coaching changes as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll end on a little bit of MLB. But the first thing we're going to get into is actually a situation that Nick Morgison and I uh, streamed last week. I, I streamed a lot of stuff last week. I did seven, sh- seven streams, whether it be show or breaking news streams, in seven days. So all my days are a little mixed up. Regardless, the story as of this point is the potential sale 
of the Washington Commanders franchise. Now, last week came out a whole bunch of mixed reports. So Sportico was the first to report that Dan Snyder was in a near agreement with a group, a consortium that was led by 76ers and Nets owner Josh Harris. Now, this Josh Harris group uh, supposedly had put up $6 billion to purchase the franchise, which would be a record for the you know highest purchase of a, of a North American sports franchise ever. Adam Schefter was a little skeptical on it, said Steve Apostolopoulos, or as I like to call him, Steve Snuffleupagus, uh, was still in. Was Where's, still his in the Where's his long nose? And also, is he real or fake? <laughs> yes. So Steve Ostolopoulos uh, was still in the mix, and, and and the recent and the reports recently have stated that he is still somewhat in the mix. So how this deal with Dan Snyder and Josh Harris, as Nick Morgison mentioned during the breaking news stream, can be fully financed but not finalized and not exclusive is a big question mark. Then, over the last couple of days, we've gotten another swerve that there is still a potential another buyer in DC native Brian Davis, who made a $7 billion offer. And should that offer go through, Brian Davis will become the first black owner in NFL history. Lots of digester, uh, Hank. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But all I know is one thing is pretty much true, and as has been said about another Washington um, villain nearly 50 years ago, this one being more of the presidential variety, I would say the long national nightmare for the commanders is over <laughs> with the sale of Dan Snyder. Yeah, I figured you'd appreciate my little historical reference in there. Yes, the the. the... Hopefully, for the case of the commanders, let's just be real, Hank. Hopefully, maybe for the entire case of the entire National Football League, the long national nightmare can be over because Dan Snyder has been one of the most, if not the most, controversial figures of I don't know how long has he been owner for. He bought the team in 1999, not long after Jack Kent Cook died, so 25 years roughly. Yeah, so the last 25 years, he has, you know, it's constantly been bad news with the commanders and him, whether it be the cheerleading scandal, whether it be all the controversy over the old Redskins name, whether it be this uh, the story that came out within the last year about him basically uh, taking away some of that revenue that was supposed to be shared amongst all the owners. So there's just nothing good that has come out with Dan Snyder. You know, the culture was actually damn good. (laughs) And I used that reference last week on Morgison. (laughs) I knew knew you'd like that one, too. I I need to get that for our soundboard. I need to get that. Oh, Bruce Allen? Yes. Oh, gosh. That guy was the epitome of running the team into the ground. Him and uh, I forgot the other guy's name. He was a talent. Vinny Serrato. Yeah, Serrato. Um, yeah, that's you should have. I think really once he fired Marty Schottenheimer after one season, that's how you knew his his reign of terror was pretty much going to be exactly that. I mean, 
Now, I mean, as of late, Hank, he seemed to had run afoul of some of his fellow NFL owners, as I mentioned, the whole withholding revenue. Um, October, I think it was. So, around, in other words, he's a thief. Yeah. He's a thief. Allegedly. allegedly. Around October, it was Jim Irsay who came out and said that basically, I mean, Nick Ferguson and all, and I like to call the NFL owners kind of this boys club. Boys club, and, which is an accurate description. And supposedly he had run afoul and some of the boys didn't want him in the club anymore. Now, granted, it's very hard to have an owner removed. Because Good for an owner, Jim Irsay even calls you out. That's how you know you, you know you done fucked up. I mean, on one hand, Jim Irsay should not be talking that kind of crap. On right, It's that meme of, well, the worst person you know actually makes a good point. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Um, my All I know is, is he fought the law and the law won. Absolutely. Uh, now, it is hard to get an owner removed because you need three quarters of the other owners to basically approve of the removal, which is, again, if you have some allies there like Dan Snyder probably has, definitely going to be a little more impossible to work with. Uh, but it also is going to take three quarters of the NFL owners to basically approve of a sale. Again, a sale is not finalized. The sale has not gone to the NFL. And it's guess one of the theories that I put out there was, you know, Dan Snyder had that non-exclusive and it was fully financed, but not final. I said, I guess maybe he's trying to get some more money out of Apostolopoulos. But then all of a sudden comes this Brian Davis move. Now, if you're a Washington Commanders fan who lives in around the D.C. area, Maybe you are hoping at least for either Josh Harris or Brian Davis because I believe Harris grew up around Maryland. Davis is from D.C. So at least you're going to have more local ties with one of those groups. Steve Apostolopoulos is a Canadian, so. I mean, the the second name, uh, Snuffleupagus, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> he sounds like He's just a businessman, so I don't know if you want that. But then again, can he really be any worse than who you just had? I mean, if if that were the case, that would be like you cured one illness only to find out that it got even worse. I mean, that's a very low blo- a low bar to clear, Hank. I yeah, mean, that, my point exactly. <laughs> very low bar to clear. Uh, that's what we have at this point. We're still trying to, I guess, wait out some of the, um, information we get. We got to wait out and see when this deal actually gets finalized. I think the only question Morgison had was if you're like, how is a deal fully financed? Like the one Harris's group is doing, but it's not mutually exclusive. And number two, is this not opening up to some potential litigation if, he has had the verbal agreement with the Harris group and then say this Brian, Brian Davis comes in. I mean, it's $7 billion. I mean, Hank, all these billions of dollars, but you know, you know, like that's $7 million is more than $6 billion. And if you know Dan Snyder, he'll probably jump all over that. And if uh, I think you know what line I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, I ha- I'm on the sound effect board in case you're wondering. Oh, yeah. Give it to Nick, me. Nick, this is for you. 
It's all about the money! <laughs> and $7 billion is a lot of reason. I mean, I don't know. Is, could it be the potential that maybe uh, th- they have Josh Harris and Brian Davis as part of this weird ownership and it becomes like a Tish Mara kind of thing? I mean, wouldn't surprise me. Isn't Magic Johnson a part of the Josh Harris group? Yes. Yes, he is. I mean, look, that, that guy is a pretty successful businessman, so I think that would definitely not be a bad guy to have as part of your ownership if you are a fan of the Commanders, although I have another nickname for it, but I don't know if I can use that on the show. <laughs> uh, Sorry, yeah. I couldn't put away my NFC NFC fan hatred towards that team, but you know what I mean. I know, very well aware. And, you know, like I'm concerned about you know, what this could mean in terms of, like, the commanders finally getting rid of that culture. I mean, if you're Josh Harris or Brian Davis or whoever, or even Apostolopoulos, it's going to have to, you know, you're going to have to earn the trust of the community, whether it be the local community or the NFL community as a whole, you know, to basically change the culture of this franchise as it was under Snyder, which is not going to take a year. I mean, look, to give you an idea as to how bad Dan Snyder really had things, I think his reputation may have been worse than when um, when George Preston Marshall, one of the original owners, refused to integrate, and he didn't do so until the early 60s. Uh, if you're Josh Harris, by the way, I mean, this uh, this would be, for Josh Harris, by the way, his third franchise. You, he, he's already the owner of the 76ers. He's the owner of the Devils. Now, if you purchase the Commanders and turn that franchise around, I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like an anti Jeffy Jeffrey Loria. I like that. I, li- I like that comparison. <laughs> I, I know Jeffrey Loria had the Marlins, and you know, oops, we accidentally won the two thousand three World Series, but that's besides the point. Well, actually, he didn't really own two teams at one time. He he was uh, one of the the head of the consortium that bought the Expos, but then all he really did when buying the Expos was screw them over, and then he yeah. pretty much just sold them so he could own the Marlins. So I don't know if I'd pretty much put him in the same group, but uh, either I, I, way, I, I, Jeffrey Laurie is scum. We we both can agree with that. Uh, that 2003 think, World Series couldn't have happened to a least deserving owner. Yeah. And then on the other hand, you got the D.C. native and Brian Davis, who like I mentioned, would be the first black owner in NFL history. And I mean, what else can you say uh, then? You know, it would be a very big step. It would be a very big step in uh, in that direction because we talk about, you know, how certain coaches uh, would have a problem, you know, getting head coaching jobs. And Brian Davis would hopefully be a uh, strong advocate, a strong uh, spearheader of that change. Which, by the way, I think if there's one person who also would be another big winner here, Hank, it would probably be uh, Eric Bieniemy. Because when I first saw Eric Bieniemy move from Kansas City, so you know he he took the OC job in Washington just because he didn't mm-hmm. have to be under Andy Reid anymore. And I was thinking, you know, maybe it's because he sees an opportunity because Ron Rivera might be on his last legs in Washington. If this season goes like any, the rest of this past couple of seasons have been, maybe he's out of a job after this and Eric Bianami could fill into that role. 
And my words to Nick Morgison were, I would say, good move, and it is a risk. It would be a good move, but Dan Snyder owns that team. And I said, as long as Dan Snyder is owning that team, he is never getting a chance. Well, if Dan Snyder soon enough does not own that team, this risky move for Eric Bieniemy might turn into a positive and might end up turning a, a big move and might give him that opportunity for a head coaching slot. Would you agree? Yeah, I would definitely agree. Although, don't be surprised if Ron Rivera ends up losing his job probably even before the season because often when a new ownership group comes in, sometimes they'll just make wholesale purges and whatnot with like the front office and the head coaching staff. But mm-hmm. yeah, I could definitely see Biennemi getting his chance. But then again, I think... I, I feel like they're not going to give it to him right away. I think they'd want him to stay on as the offensive coordinator, but at the very least, the one, the other win for him, and I kind of said this beforehand, is that he's no longer in the shadows of Andy Reid because I think part of the reason, maybe that he was that there was a knock on him was that he was like too in the shadows of uh, Andy Reid. I mean, I agree, but I know Morgan has always fought at the same time. You're with a coach that has won two Super Bowls in the last four years, a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, mm-hmm. why would you want to leave that organization? Which I guess I understand that point as well. But I think, you know, head coach, more opportunity, more money. I feel like he wants to take that chance. And again, we talk about the lack of opportunities for black head coaches in this league. Yeah, no, I definitely think that would make sense although i would have to say um what was i gonna say yeah no i think he, he wanted to take a chance i mean it does seem pretty weird on the surface that he would leave kansas city for washington and i still stand by my comments that i made i think on a previous episode where it's like you wanted to leave your first class seat on the airplane for coach but at the same time more money an opportunity it's not like you really can turn that down, especially if you've been wanting to prove that you're a good head coach. And I think a good place to prove yourself would probably be Washington because, you know, as, as we've said, their culture has been so damn good that obviously I use it for (laughs) sarcastic reasons. And, you know, if he ends up doing well in Washington, the enemy, let's say he does become the head coach. The enemy is essentially a God in that area. Like, they still look at Joe Gibbs like a hero down there. Like that would be the same treatment that Eric Bieniemy would get. And it should be interesting to see how that plays out. If it plays out, I don't want to get too ahead of myself there. Yeah. We're going to stay on top of the story, see when it becomes final. And ultimately I do agree with you, Hank, that, you know, a good place for him to showcase himself as a head coach is a T is a team that is in need of a change. And one that does go under an ownership change and is kind of shaking itself up. Uh, We'll, again, stay on top of that. We'll talk about it on an episode after that news becomes official or if any other big update happens to that story. Hopefully, Dan Snyder is officially out of the NFL's hair once and for all. Uh, Moving on, however, do want to get to this story because this is broken within the last... uh, 36-ish hours by the time this airs. Really, it's only been about five hours, six hours by the time Mm -hmm. we're recording. There's a new highest-paid player in NFL history, and his name is Jalen Hurts. Yes, after this spectacular season that Jalen Hurts had, in which he led the Philadelphia Eagles to an NFC title and a Super Bowl appearance, Jalen Hurts has signed a 
five-year, $255 million extension, with about $179 million of that guaranteed. This now earns him the title of highest-paid player in NFL history. Wait one second here, Hank. Yay! There we go. All right, so I don't know how to feel about this because on one hand, yeah, the market for quarterbacks is definitely, I mean, we talked about it last week, the $40 million that Danny Jones got per, you know, AAV, the kind of money that Lamar Jackson has wanted, the outlier of a contract that is Deshaun Watson. I mean, with Jalen Hurts, this is definitely a very big deal, but at the same time, you know, I don't know. I mean, he led them to a Super Bowl. He has always been, Jalen Hurts, has always been this guy who has had all the potential in the world, but he needed to make it work. And the Eagles, this is where you got to give credit to the front office. They were able to swipe A.J. Brown away from the Titans, give Jalen Hurts that big receiver, and Hurts and Brown delivered. And they delivered a conference championship, you know, just fell short of a Super Bowl to Philadelphia. So you definitely have to reward Hurts. but Coming off of this one season, I mean, is it much? I, I don't know. What do you think of this deal, Hank? Um, can I just say off the record, I think a lot of us were proven right here. What happened to the talk about, uh, oh, Daniel Jones is overpaid? Uh, I'm sorry, but now it doesn't really seem like that. I mean, that his contract is nothing compared to what Jalen Hurts is getting. And this is something that Johnny and I talked about in a previous episode you know, this is pretty much the growing rate with a lot of these quarterbacks. And when you consider the season he had, and make no mistake, I'm not saying Jalen Hurts doesn't necessarily deserve it. It just goes to show you that quarterbacks don't grow on trees. Every team needs a good one in order to be successful. And that's why all these owners are pretty much splurging a shit ton of money on all these quarterbacks. Now, is this going to affect the Eagles probably a few years down the line? Yeah, probably, because who knows how much of that contract is going to be taking up uh, cap space. But at the same time, the Eagles did what they had to do to ensure that their franchise starter was going to be here for the long term. And, you know, if I'm being honest, Jalen Hurts might be the best quarterback that they've had since, I would say, Donovan McNabb. So, Definitely makes sense to keep him around. And, hey, he came pretty damn close to winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, and basically this last year, Hank, was kind of seen as a bit of a make or break for Jalen Hurts that Mm -hmm. he needed to really deliver in this year in order to, you know, showcase that, you know, he was not a fluke. And Mm -hmm. I have, you know, both on the show – in fantasy talk, I have been a supporter of Jalen Hurts and saying that I think he is for real. And last season did prove that he was for real. Now, granted, I think some of that just has to do with the fact that they were able to give him a big-time weapon like A.J. Brown. Well, but- and not to mention, you also had three-fifths of your offensive line consist of pro bowlers. Yeah. That also that, that helps, too. Let's not, <laughs> let's not forget about that. That, that, that does definitely help, but that also shouldn't take away from the fact that I think Jalen Hurts did prove himself. He did show that he was very capable of playing at an NFL le- level. He is very capable of being one of the best quarterbacks in this league, and therefore having a contract like this, I mean, as I kind of alluded to in the intro, Hank, 
yes, this is a bit of an overpay, but at the same time, we have seen the title of highest play, paid player in, in, in NFL history kind of, you know, play a little hot potato. Because it was like five or so years ago, you had the likes of Matt Ryan and Matt Stafford earning this, mm-hmm. uh, earning that title. You had Aaron Rodgers at one point a couple of years ago who had that title. Now it's Jalen Hurts. Oh, I can't wait till you see what uh, Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence are going to get paid. It's probably going to, it's probably going to blow this deal out of the water. Oh, for Justin Herbert, absolutely. If he has another season like he's had over the past couple of year, years, whether he's staying in Los Angeles or not, someone is going to throw a bag at him. Now, granted, the only thing that screws up, eh, the other thing that screws the whole quarterback market up, as Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson has previously alluded to, is that outlier of a contract in Deshaun Watson, which I think even with this kind of contract, Hank, I can't even say that I think Jalen Hurts has as much pressure on him as Deshaun Watson has this season. Yeah, because Jalen Hurts proved himself a year ago. Deshaun Watson still has way more question marks than Jalen Hurts. I mean, after all, did you see the stink bomb that Deshaun Watson laid in those last few games? And, oh, yeah, not to mention he's kind of a criminal, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I would say I, I. There's no way Jalen Hurts is going to have the pressure that uh, Deshaun Watson has, especially since people in Philadelphia, the people in Philadelphia love Jalen Hurts, even if he came short of winning the Super Bowl. You don't Super Bowls happen in Philadelphia as often as uh, Haley's Comet. So there you go. <laughs> and I mean, it wasn't like they weren't in that matchup with Kansas City. It was a very competitive matchup. So no, they probably would have won that game if they had at least we're able to play a shred of defense. Yeah. I mean, that again, I think I said it during the, the, the week after the Super Bowl itself, you got to give credit to that offense of Patrick Mahomes and the offensive line that definitely worked their tails off just to. And I really think if jail, if the Eagles had won that game, we would be talking about Jalen hurts performance forever. Cause he was absolutely balling in that game. Cause like I said, it's not like he has a second job playing defense. Right. So again, goes to the point of, you know, is this a little much? Maybe. But at the same time, after the kind of performance that he had, you had to give him some sort of uh you had to so you had to show him some sort of dollar here. Mm-hmm. Especially again if, you know, yeah, Derek Carr, Daniel Jones, and the outlier that is Deshaun Watson are getting what they're getting. Uh granted And also think- you want to make sure you lock up your quarterbacks for as yeah. long as possible. You yeah. don't want to go back to square one. No, absolutely not which is the case where that a couple of other teams might be finding themselves in, which we'll talk about probably all next week when uh, we have the ETB draft special, which I'll plug at the end of this. Uh, Moving on, however, from Jalen Hurts, I bring up Lamar Jackson's name a lot. We actually do have an update to that story we talked about last week with Odell Beckham getting a one-year $18 million deal, $15 million guaranteed from the Ravens. So... Remember how I said that Lamar Jackson was involved in the recruiting process for Odell Beckham? A report mm-hmm. has come out that basically says that Lamar had told the Ravens to get Odell Beckham and DeAndre Hopkins. And the Ravens basically told him that they only could afford one, and they went after Odell Beckham. That sounds like um, 
Remember when you were a kid, you went to the toy store, there were two toys you really liked, but your mom told you you could only get one. And <laughs> if you don't get both of them, then you're going to end up having a little, um, uh, what do we call it, tantrum? Yeah. I feel like that's what this all kind of seems like with Lamar Jackson. And now we're start. Now I think you can start to hit the panic button as to whether or not he's going to stay in Baltimore. Ultimately, I have a feeling that like there, my gut's telling me he's probably going to be out of there. And the reason that I say that is because at the end of the day, if their front office is sane, they would look at what's happened in years past and, if you thought I called Russell Westbrook overrated in our last episode of ETV, I'm going to give Lamar Jackson that same treatment. Now, why do I say that? I don't think he's as prolific of a thrower as, say, a Josh Allen or a Patrick Mahomes or, heck, even a Justin Herbert. And if you rely on a quarterback who uses his legs, that could be a problem. And um, let me uh, bring up this. You have a Harbaugh as your head coach and Greg Roman as your offensive coordinator. What does that remind you of? What does what should that remind people of? Hank? Sound familiar? Do you remember who uh, Colin Kaepernick's coaches were? Oh, the Harbaugh brother and Greg <laughs> Roman as his offensive coordinator. Yeah, and people wanted to tell me that Greg Roman was the problem with the Ravens' offense for these past few years. No, Lamar Jackson had an MVP-like season with that staff, just as Colin Kaepernick did, and he damn near won a Super Bowl with that that squad. They propped him up to be better than what he actually is. So if they were smart, they would not cave in and give him the money. But then again, you kind of splurged with Odell Beckham and gave him, what, $15 million from one year? Good Lord, that's that's a shit ton of money. And so the only thing I would make in defense of why they go after, because first of all, my mind says you're going to go after Odell Beckham, who hasn't played since the Rams Super Bowl win, but not DeAndre Hopkins, who granted DeAndre's on the downward, but has been, you know, he's proven a lot more than Odell as of late, but at the same time, mm-hmm. the cap situation for the Ravens was not good. It was around uh, about a month ago. They only had about somewhere between like seven and ten million dollars in cap space. Yeah, it, it was not good, and I think they cleared some just to sign Odell. So, I mean, the the ball. And I told you not- that the Odell signing was a reek of desperation. Yeah. Plus, again, like Johnny actually said on ETV with me last week that, and I think you even said it too. Like, Who the hell was Lamar Jackson going to throw to in that offense? That they did exactly my point. They, they, they exactly did they traded away point. Hollywood Brown last year during the draft. And mm-hmm. I mean, they got a couple of decent young players, but nobody who has the I mean, I'll use the argument that we were talking about with the Giants leading into this offseason. Nobody with a playmaking style ability. And Odell Beckham does have a playmaker, you know, a spectacular playmaker style, but Again, there's question marks about how he's going to be because it's going to be about a year and a half come September when he takes the field for the first time. Yeah, so in other words, you know what I'm about to say? Odell Beckham at this point could be anything. He could even be a mystery box. (laughs) He is a mystery box. 
That is the thing. Yeah. At least DeAndre Hopkins, as I said, at least you would have known what you're getting in with that. Now, granted, that would have meant that would have meant trading. That would have meant you know, and and the Cardinals are already and there's question marks about their trading. Uh, I will get to the Buda Baker news in a little bit, but there's also potential that maybe they trade from the number three instead of taking Will Anderson. They trade down and get more picks, which would be really interesting and cause a whole potential shakeup with the NFL draft picks if they did that. Um, but yeah, if I'm loving, I mean, maybe as I said last week, maybe Odell Beckham was one of the requirements to get, you know, Lamar back as their starting quarterback in 2023. But at the same time, you know, it doesn't change my mind that I, I don't know if he plays this season. And even if he does play the season, Hank, once this franchise tag season's over, he's gone. He, he is leaving in free agency next year. Yeah, I do not envy the situation that the Baltimore Ravens are in one bit. I've screwed up, I've screwed up, you know, angry quarterback. The situation where you have an injured, you know, wide receiver as your big signing. Somebody who's been injured for a long time, that is. Uh, cap hell. It, it, this does not look good for Baltimore. As I said on ETB. All you need is for Kenny Pickett to continue to deliver and, you know, continue to up his game in Pittsburgh. I mean, even in the worst kind of possible season, Hank, uh, Mike Tomlin had another, you know, 500 or above record in Pittsburgh this past season. So if they continue that trend or heaven forbid, you know, the sneaky kind of offseason that NFL Network has been hyping up about Cleveland and their signing, you know, as I kind of alluded to on ATV, Baltimore could be heading for a nosedive in the AFC North because they're damn near not, not in control of that division anymore. What was established last season is that is Cincinnati's division. What you need to do if you're the Ravens is you just need to prevent a nosedive from happening that you're not competing with Cleveland or Pittsburgh for bum last there. Also, you think, uh, you think Harbaugh's on the hot seat? Because I'm surprised he didn't get fired after some really bad play calling he had in, in that Cincinnati game where they probably could have stole it if they were, like, at least a better team than they were. Part of me wants to say, you know, Harbaugh has had previous season where he's been on the hot seat of sorts. But, I mean... I'm shocked he didn't get fired after that 2017 collapse where they lost to the Bengals and Tyler Boyd had that big touchdown and yeah. that somehow got... The e um, who was well, Tyrod Taylor Bills into the playoffs, um. But at the same rate, as we kind of alluded, Hank, the kind of situation where this is looking at a potential blow up, a potential we might have to restart everything. If they go in that direction, yeah, I don't see how Harbaugh was brought back. I don't, I don't know how Harbaugh would even want to do another rebuild in Baltimore. Yeah, basically, and. It's funny. They there may be a time. I think they probably could be wanting the uh, arm punt back as their uh, quarterback. I mean, say what you want about the guy, he was still pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, one last NFL story to talk about, as I kind of was going to allude to before. Buda Baker has uh, requested a trade from the Arizona Cardinals, and Hank. I mean, if this was a few years ago, I would be saying about how the Cardinals are look like they're on the up and up, and now everything since then has just. It's just been bad. I mean, James Conner is still a stud, but I mean, Kyler, there's questions about him. D. 
DeAndre's older. Buda Baker wants out. As I kind of alluded to with Johnny Hank, I, these rumors about them trading with the number three pick. I mean, these days with all the question marks they have now, I might want the multiple picks. I might do a trade down. I would say trade down for what? But yeah, no, I think probably a good call. I mean, the Cardinals have pretty much established at this point that they really are not a desirable location for a lot of these stars. And when you have guys like Buda Baker wanting out, probably could help them fill a lot of needs for the long run, I would say, especially since you technically still have your uh, franchise quarterback in Kyler Murray. The only problem is he also he may have more been the most talented pick of that draft, but at the same time, when you saw the way he was during the past season, it does raise a good amount of question marks now. I mean, think about it. We had at one point the homework clause that eventually got removed. So <laughs> I will never stop thinking about that, that homework clause now, whenever I think of Kyler Murray. That when the Arizona Cardinals tried to put a homework clause in his contract. That was kind of amusing. I'm not going to lie. But it brings on the questions about him. As I mentioned, mm-hmm. DeAndre Hopkins is talented, but I mean, he's older. And maybe there's a team, you know, I don't know if he wants to be with the Cardinals anymore. I don't know if the Cardinals can afford to have him at this point. Maybe you offer him up in a trade. I think Arizona is going to have a very interesting, you know, off se- rest of this offseason to watch and an interesting 2023 season to watch to see just in what direction this franchise is going to go in. Now, and I think this would be, Kyler Murray got drafted in 19. So this would be the last year of his, uh, well, not last year of his contract, but this would be his, uh, the last year of a rookie contract. I thought they extended him. They extended, right, but they extended him. So that this is the last year he's going to have that base $2 million base salary. And in 2024, Hank, his salary jumps from $2 million base to $37 million base. So imagine, just imagine, Kyler Murray underperforms this season and you got to pay him $35 million more. <laughs> what do you think I'm going to say? And, and, and they can't do anything about... Uh, what do you think I'm going to say? Hang on a minute. Let me get the sound. Yeah, I think it pretty much spoke for itself, but I'm still going to say it's all about the money. Hank, next year's cap hit, if they get rid of, it's 51, actually more close to $52 million of a cap hit next year for him and $81.5 million in dead cap. So they're stuck with Kyler. Yikes. (laughs) Talk about another quarterback that could have pressure on him. I mean... Look, if if there's one silver lining, at least you know that he's got the talent. But at the same time, it's, like I said, kind of a catch-22 if I make sense. Mm-hmm. You gotta, I mean, one, you got to build a team around him. And two, he has to deliver on that talent. And having Buda Baker wanting a trade. Yeah, I, I think... I think it really says more about the state of the Cardinals than really anything about Buda Baker himself, personally. Yeah. All right. 
Move on, moving over to the uh, to the basketball world. So an update on that Mavericks story about them tanking. So they were fined seven hundred. So I made a mistake last week, Hank. They were not fined eight hundred thousand dollars last time, but the year before they got Luca, it was only six hundred thousand. So this time they're only they're going to get fined seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Oh, great! That's just that's just what we need. Them getting a mere slap on the wrist and say, "Hey, don't do it again," and making them have to pay what essentially amounts to pennies. And oh gosh, it's like we—it's not like we've never seen um, Mark Cuban being in a situation like that before. Oh, oh, wait, we have. You mean the Mavericks are getting off scot free again, essentially with that fine? By God, it's like they're gonna learn nothing once again. Yippee! Hank. So, here's all that crap that was being given to the Knicks for the Jalen Brunson signing. For the, uh, you know, the supposed tampering when tampering is all over the National Basketball Association. And yet, here is Here are the Mavericks who are, you know, resting their players. And this is the, they're doing a tank for the second time in like four or five seasons. And here they are doing this when the Western Conference, even by the time they were playing that game 81, was so open that they could have, you know, they needed help, but could have got a play in spot. And here's, um, and here's Mark Cuban saying, uh, no, we're just going to take the, you know, the pick and we're not going to give that back to the Knicks. We're going to preserve our pick. Thank you very much. When a playoff spot could have been had with the Western conference being so open. I mean, Hank, the Kings beat the Warriors in game one. The West is a complete, you know, mystery box of sorts. They could have been a team who made a run. I honestly doubt they could have, but they could have been a team who made a run. And you're going to tell me that you would rather take the lottery pick over a chance of making the playoffs. <laughs> you're actually going to tell me this, Cuban. Come on. Can I, um, can I uh, make this meme? I don't know if there's any sound effect to this, but Mark Cuban, you're a special kind of stupid there. <laughs> Uh, I don't exactly have a meme for that, but I do have this sound effect. Oh, no, that wasn't the sound effect I was thinking you'd use. I was thinking more along the lines of, um, oh, I don't know, a certain daytime show that I used to watch all the time on the rare occasions that I'd stay home from school when I was sick. Ah, are you referring to... Yes! Yes! Yes, that is exactly what I'm referring to. Oh, and by the way, Hank, you know what else this calls for? What? I predicted this was going to happen last week. I predicted it here. I predicted it on ETV. Hank, it's an Adam Silver slip-off. Oh, you think? He did it again. Only 750000 for a serial tanker. You know what? Forget it. I'm not just going to call Mark Cuban the outspoken owner who can't keep his mouth shut. I'm just going to call him the serial tanker from now on. <laughs> the serial tanker. That is going to be my new phrase. I am copywriting it. You got to pay HCI money for that. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I know 
there's all this talk about and we thought that the Sixers were this were, we thought that um what's his name um Sam Hinkie was the was the original was the serial tanker I mean I think he's the OG serial tanker but no Mark Mark Cuban I mean Hank I know there's all this talk about uh Victor Wembayama you know supposed of uh, France it's supposedly the you know most hyped up potential number one draft pick of an NBA draft since LeBron James 20 years ago. But at the yeah. same time, I, I, at the same time, I mean, you're going to choose, you know, the slim possibility. Remember, it's only a slim possibility that he can have him and Luca on that same team. And besides, as we kind of alluded to last week, I think Luca's miserable there. And as you kind of alluded to Hank, is just trying to be, you know, a smiley to not cause even more of a stir, but, I wouldn't blame him if he wanted out of that of this situation in Dallas. Wait, I mean, so, wait, 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 hold on, okay. time out, time out. You mean to tell me that rather than playing for a playoff spot where you could have potentially made some noise, or you potentially you couldn't have, you decided to um, gamble your way and lose for? the actual mystery box that is the draft lottery. Yes. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> they actually were, they actually willing, willingly gave up in the short term in hopes that it pays off in the long term. They threw in the towel. They waved the white flag early just to try and play the long game. And I think their long game, Hank, is, uh, I think their long game is for not. Look at all the failure. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Oh, by the way, if the slim possibility happens, Hank, that, and, and, and I think Johnny kind of alluded to it, if the slim possibility happens, the Mavericks are a lottery winner and get a top three pick, I'm sure the NBA is not going to do anything. But if I'm James Dolan in the Knicks, I can't believe I'm defending a Dolan on this one. I think I am. Yes, yes, I am actually trying. Dolan, Dolan. I'm sorry. Is is am am I seeing pigs flying? Hold on a minute. I'm gonna turn down my my sound because I know what this calls for. (laughs) Yes, I am actually siding with James Dolan for once. And if I am him, and I am Nick's management, Hank, and the Mavericks get a top three pick, I'm filing a grievance with the league. It's probably not going to be for anything, but at this point, I would file a grievance and say, that's BS. Once again, going back to what we said about Ursay, when you agree, when someone who's notably despised is right, that's how you know you're done fucked up. Adam Silver continues to slip on Nick Morgison's eyes uh, power rankings for commissioners in sports. Well, then again, there there is one guy below him, but again, I'm going to try not to even speak his name. Or, or oh, even... he'll come up again. He will come up later towards the well, MLB he... segment. He will. Mm-hmm. I want to bring him up. <laughs> of course he will, because he, he just cannot go one week without screwing something up. Yeah. All right, so we're going to move on over to a story that 
uh, I'll say a little more on the serious side. So John Morant, um, I'm sure you guys have talked about this here on Game On. Nick and I have certainly talked about his cases with ETB and how things have kind of gone a little sour with him and a little, you know, terrifying with him about the kinds of actions that he's had this past offseason during the season. John Morant has filed a countersuit against the teenager. So there was a, if you remember, one of the incidences that caused John Morant's whole, you know, uh, situation has been the fact that, uh, I shouldn't say fact, that allegedly he pulled a gun on a teenager during the offseason. John Morant has now filed a cancer suit accusing the team of slander, battery, and assault over the picked-up basketball game at John Morant's home back in July. Uh, I'm trying to look at the details. So the NBA had the NBA suspended Morant eight games in March for conduct detrimental to the league. Uh, and that was after the Grizzlies had pulled a suspension on him. So if you remember, that was another Adam Silver screw up. Uh, Morant's countersuit notes the lawsuit was reported nationally despite being under seal until the amended version filed. March 28 and jeopardizes the guards relationships with sponsors, including some unconsummated deals in progress. No, 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 no. To take your words, Hank, you know, who screwed up your sponsorships, Ja? You, you did your actions, all those actions that have taken over the past year, whether it was this teenager incident, whether it was the fact that, you know, some groupies of yours had the incident with the Pacers traveling party. no, it's you, Ja. It's not these legal lawsuits. Because you wouldn't have these legal lawsuits under seal or not if you didn't screw up in the first place. Sounds like someone who doesn't want to own up to their mistakes. Hmm. Sounds why like are someone who doesn't surprised? want to be a man. Why are we not surprised? That's like we've never seen that before with a lot of NBA superstars. And I'm going to be very honest, Hank. Seeing this kind of story and seeing how the Grizzlies played in game one, I'm kind of, you know, tempted to change my pick. I said last week, I might go Lakers over them at this point. The Lakers are just looked so much better. Uh Oh, do I hear some sound going off in my head? Which one? Oh, I think, you know, is is it alarm time again? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to be honest with you, I can't act like that's a stretch. I mean, did you see the end of game one? You're you're down by one. I mean, you're still very much in the game, and then you just let them score 15 straight points off you. What a shit show. Yeah. Memphis has been – I can't say Memphis has been disappointing because they finished with a number two seed, but – the whole uh, no, yes, they have. If you're going to lose like that and then you proceed to lose the series and you have the whole John Moran stuff hanging around you. Uh, no, actually, I would say that disappointment is being a little too kind. Okay, but I, I what my point, I, Hank, was going to be that I think your word is better. It's not disappointment. It's shit show. Uh, yeah, Um. Cosmo, I, I have something to say, but I know you, you're you probably thinking about what I'm going to say. Oh, yes. Look at all the failure. Miserable. 
absolutely miserable. Uh, this other NBA story, a little more on the series side. Miles Bridges suspended. Okay, let's break this down. Miles Bridges was suspended for 30 games. Here's the catch. He was suspended for 30 games, but the NBA is giving him credit for 20 games because he missed 20 games of the 82 games this season while he was going through uh, the domestic abuse situation. So Bridges was charged with felony domestic and child abuse stemming from an alleged assault on his partner that happened in front of their children in June of 2022. In November 2022, Bridges pled no contest. Uh, the NBA conducted its own investigation, inter- which inter- involved interviewing numerous third-party witnesses as well as Bridges and his partner. And the league suspension is based on all facts and circumstances of this matter. It considers the conduct and its result, as well as the outcome of the criminal matter, among other factors. And they consult the DV experts before making a judgment. Hank, I don't know about you, but I hate retroactive suspensions. I really hate them. It, it, it's just like, come on, really? So technically, you're only going to suspend him 10 games for domestic violence. So once again, Hank... I say it's an Adam Silver slip-up. And I hate when retroactive suspensions are used when it comes to a domestic violence thing. I mean... Like, I mean, come on. Good lord, it's like they never learn. No. And once again, the NBA... You know, the NBA is one of these leagues... And really, I think it's just a problem general across all the sports leagues there. We have a problem with how we handle domestic violence situations. I, I, I'm i starting to think that Silver's wheel of discipline is probably even worse than uh, Roger, because at least you can say Roger knows best. Uh, Some of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I can't say Roger knows best because his track record with DV. I, I mean, said some of the time. Yes, some of the time. All right. I kind of want to get off that topic now. So that's the NBA. We did our playoff preview last week. If you want to go check out episode 49 to get our takes on um, our our takes on the NBA playoffs. Obviously, we got the NHL we got to talk about now. Before we get to the NHL playoff preview, uh, Hank, another... Blackhawks uh, legend of this most recent, you know, run from the 2010s is bidding farewell. Uh, Jonathan Tay is not getting re-signed by the Blackhawks. And so in his last game, getting the, uh, getting the emotional farewell, the ovations and whatnot from Blackhawks Nation. I would say that Jonathan Taves getting that farewell is essentially closure for what was a great run of success? I mean, three cups in six years. Very, Very hard to do that, especially when you look at how the NHL playoffs are formatted, even if I kind of have my own little mixed feelings about that Blackhawks run because, uh, well, you know, we, we won't talk about why. But you have to Google what the name Brad Aldrich to really understand why. But in any event, he's a legend in, in the city of Chicago and probably – I think you could probably even make the argument that Taves along with Patrick Kane is probably in the Mount Rushmore among 
Blackhawks legends. I mean, three Stanley Cups, which is probably more so than any of the other older Blackhawks, even Bobby Hull, because they had they went so long without winning a championship before that. And mm-hmm. he was probably the the cap and he was the captain of what was a really good line. Like Patrick Kane said he was pretty much what essentially made them go after it was announced that they were letting him go. And look, the Blackhawks are a team that quite frankly needs an overhaul. And by overhaul I mean just the whole entire like change because you you pretty much know about the scandal that they're that we're dealing with. And again, I really don't want to get too much into that scandal on this episode, but they just need an entire like cleansing is is what i'm saying but it's definitely a bittersweet day if you if you're a fan of the chicago blackhawks and we know for a fact there is no doubt he and kane will both have their numbers hanging in the rafters mm-hmm. at united center and hey possibly they could get statues much like uh bobby hull even though you know how i feel about bobby hull and yeah. uh michael jordan who's also you know played dazzled at united center for years when he was with the bulls but Hats off to what hats off to a great career, essentially. Yeah, hats off to Taze. Hats off to Kane. Obviously, Kane now with the Rangers trying to get mm-hmm. a Cup in this run. Yeah, I mean, and I will talk credit, about Patrick Kane. Believe me. I mean, I mean the credit to the Blackhawk tank, like you mm-hmm. said, three Stanley Cups in the in those 2010s. They were the dynasty of hockey in the 2010s, constantly making the playoffs over these last. 10 to 15 years, really hard to do. He was crazy. Crazy. almost repeated. He almost repeated too. Yeah. But alas, you know, the kind of season that they had this season kind of has put the nail in the coffin, has shut the window on that run. And it is now time for Chicago to enter, you know, rebuild and enter the next generation of Chicago Blackhawks hockey. Yeah. I think that's about an accurate way to describe it too. Hank, Bunch of uh, coaching changes and front office changes with the NHL. The Capitals making a change at head coach. The Blue Jackets making a change at head coach. The Pittsburgh Penguins have not made a change at head coach yet, but with the firing of Rex Hextall, the president general manager and all, it seems like more changes in Pittsburgh might be on the horizon after Pittsburgh's uh, playoff streak finally came to an end this season. Yeah, as far as Laviolette goes, I'm guessing this is a coach that pretty much just lived, went past his expiration date. He's had some success with Philadelphia. In fact, he took them to the Stanley Cup Finals, which really shows you how good of a coach he is, especially taking that franchise. Okay, I kid, I kid. But, (laughs) you know, nonetheless, he had a great career winning a cup with the Hurricanes in 06. And, you know, he did get the Capitals to the to the playoffs in uh, 2021 and 22. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think this is a team that's pretty much in a state of decline around him. So I don't really fault him. I guess he essentially was kind of a scapegoat for their decline. But you know what? It, it is what it is. I think he's he's still a great coach. He's had an excellent career. Maybe he gets another shot somewhere. It would not surprise me in the slightest. But as far as Scott Larson goes, I don't really know much about the Columbus Blue Jackets situation, despite the fact that they're in the same division as the New York Rangers. But I think that's another. He was only there for, what, two years, and they pretty much declined around him ever since John Tortorella left. So, again, I think that guy really was just scapegoated. They haven't really had a great team around them, especially after they went all in just to win that one 
just to have that one playoff series win over the Tampa Bay Lightning. And what a series win that was, if I say so myself. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. Also, the there was another coaching change, too. The Ducks opted not to mm-hmm. renew Dallas Eakins' contract, so they let him go, and they're a team that's still in the midst of a rebuild. And, again, it, a lot of these coaches, if you really sense a pattern here, they're pretty much, like, hired to be fired, if you know what I'm saying. I know. But uh, when we... Now let's get to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, okay. You were on that mind. I'll get into the Penguins. Because after 16 consecutive seasons, they have finally missed the playoffs. And listen, I'm not just saying that to to shit on them because you know how I feel about that franchise. Mm -hmm. I'm saying the honest to God truth. Them missing the playoffs might have been for the best. Because if you look at their situation – they're in a state of decline, much like the Detroit Red Wings were right around the end of Ken Holland's tenure as the general manager. I mean, Sid, the kid, still got it. He's a great player for as much as I like to give him crap about some of the stuff he does on the ice. But, but the they're getting old. Malkin's not getting any younger. And look at the contract they're, the new GM slash president's going to be dealing with and Good Lord, why did they overpay for Chris Letang? You already know he's past his prime. I mean, I understand he's a fan and favorite, and he won three of your cups. But seriously, there's a a reason there is a difference between what have you done and what have you done for me lately. And, you know, the Penguins now finally have come to the realization that it's time to rebuild. So looks like they made the right decision by getting rid of Brian Burke, who really has not made a lot of great moves since he was the president. And why on earth did you even hire Ron Hexall? If you, did you look at the team all the way across from you in the same state when he was with the flyers? That tells you all you need to know about how bad of a GM he is. Here, here's what I assume the reaction was when Hexall got hired. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree. I mean, if there's one person that probably agrees more than the two of us, Hank, it's urinating tree Schlosser, who I, I, all you need to look at his Twitter over the past couple of years that he has been a big advocate that the time was up for this team. And I think this year and the fact that they missed the playoffs, which I agree, Hank is sort of the best probably proves his point. Correct. That oh, and I, I think really the moment where I would say the day the music died for them. I don't, I hate using that term because you, you, as a historic story and like a music fan, I think you know what that term means. Yeah. But the day the music died for them was probably when the Capitals finally made it past the second round. Yeah, I, I can see that. Because... And fun, fun fact, the Penguins have not won a playoff series since then. I mean... I mean, and, I mean, that includes losing a losing the preliminary round to a Montreal Canadiens team that would not have made the playoffs if not for a pandemic. <laughs> I mean, that uh, having their and, own and getting boat raced by the Islanders twice, and uh, their own three-one lead moment to the Rangers. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, Game Seven where Panarin scored the game-winning goal. Good times, One, the by far the most memorable game I ever saw at MSG so far. I, I was going to say, that that has to be an all-time favorite moment for me as a, ever since becoming a Rangers fan like 15, 16 years ago. Yes. Hey, we pretty much became Rangers fans around the same time. Yeah, that's 
That's really sweet. Which, perfect transition, Hank. Let's talk some playoffs. So, mm-hmm. playoffs started last night. We're recording this before the puck drops on the first matchups. Uh, as the, first, the pucks are about to drop in the first matchups in about 15 minutes from the time we are recording. Uh, mm-hmm. Puck, however, on the Rangers and Devils dropped about an hour before this uh, before this show went live. So, Hank, let's break down some of our matchups. We couldn't actually do it fully on ETB. We, we did some, but, you know, obviously we were still finalizing some spots at the time because most of the league came down to the last game of the season. But we have our, we have our format right now for the first round. On the West, we have Edmonton, L.A. We've got Colorado, Seattle, Dallas, Minnesota, Vegas, Winnipeg, Carolina Islanders on the east side, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Boston, Florida, New Jersey, and the Rangers. Um, West side, here are my predictions. I think Edmonton is a very sneaky team to watch out for. I think there is a pretty good chance they could be a Western Conference finalist. Seattle, I mean, you got to give credit. Was it the second season they and they make the playoffs for the first time? You know, the, Maddie Meniers. I love me some Maddie Meniers, by the way. Yeah, I, I loved. I just love the fact that the two expansion teams and like how quickly they became competitive in this league. It's like that tells you really something about, you know, the kind of care for clubs in this team compared to some of the clubs around, you know, the other major league, major league sports. That being said, the Avalanche are going to be very dangerous for years to come. Both uh, Nicodera and I had said that last year on ETB. I stand by those words, and I think Colorado gets an easy series win. Uh, Vegas should handle the Jets pretty clean, five, six games. Dallas, Minnesota is going seven. I, I don't even know if I can predict that one, but they're going seven. Um, so let me uh, give you my Western Conference predictions, if I may. So I have Edmonton winning two. My only concern with the Oilers is – like the Leafs, they don't have the best goalie situation. However, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are definitely guys that I think can carry them over what I think is a scrappy LA Kings team. And heck, I wouldn't be surprised if the Kings somehow found a way to upset them. But against McDavid, I- I'm I'm pretty skeptical. Um, Vegas against Winnipeg. Connor Hellebuck has to play absolutely perfect for Winnipeg to even stand a chance in that series. And I'm sorry, the Knights are just way too loaded. They, the, mm-hmm. the Winnipeg just does not stand a chance. I think Vegas wins that one easily. I completely agree with you there. Uh, Minnesota against Dallas. Fun fact, the um, Dallas Stars were once in Minnesota. They were the Minnesota North Stars. Actually. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> Can you imagine how pissed off Wild fans would be if they lose to that team once again? Um you want to talk about a sneaky good team? The Dallas yeah. Stars with Jason Robertson, Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, and um, oh, what's that guy's name? Um, I'm, I'm forget- uh, Heskinen, the, the defenseman. And Jake Ottinger is a goalie that can really play clutch when he has Thanks. to. Did you see what he did in game seven last year when he almost stole that series against the Calgary Flames? I honestly think the Dallas, the Dallas stars could surprise people and make a deep run. I have them winning that series in six games. And then Colorado. Oh, Hank, Sorry, Hank, uh, but you were talking about Miro. His, his Gankin, I believe. Mira, yes. Mira, okay. 
Yes, he's going to. That's that's exactly what I was talking about. Uh, Colorado and Seattle. Colorado's going to win this in six, but Seattle's definitely going to play a little bit scrappy in that series. And as I said, I'm a big fan of Matty Beneers. And ultimately, even though Colorado has some injury issues, particularly Gabriel Landeskog, I don't know if you heard about how bad that injury is, but that could very well be career-ending. That's how bad it is. I still think they have the firepower with Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon. So give me Colorado in six. All right. On the Eastern side, uh, Hurricanes and Islanders, I think that one's pretty easy. I think that's going to be a five-game win for the Hurricanes. Uh, they're too strong. The, although they're coming in on a they're coming in on losses on like five of their last ten, which is not the kind of momentum you want to be coming in with. That's why I wanted the Rangers to play them in the first round. I wanted them to lose that last game and the Devils to win that next game to um, the Devils win. I'm with you there, but at the same time, I'll get into why I'm not complaining as much as most Ranger fans. But all right, um, I have to be honest with you though. I don't think that series is going to be as easy of a win for the Hurricanes as you might think. Yeah, I, I was going to say I was going to change it. I think it's five or six. It's not five or six, probably. Do I have the Hurricanes winning? Yes, but there here are two reasons why. One. They're going to miss Shvechnikov terribly. That was a very bad blow to lose him to the, for the rest of the season with that ACL. And then not to mention Sorokin can steal some games. And don't be surprised if Ilya Sorokin somehow steals a win, a series win for them in games they have no business winning in whatsoever. That's pretty much a, a reason why the Islanders are in the playoffs. In fact, they kind of remind me a little bit of the 2012 Rangers in a sense, if you know what I mean, or at least their style of game. Because mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of superstars, so to speak, but you have a really hot goalie. Yeah, I, I think the Hurricanes are winning, but it's not going to be as easy as people think. I mean, at the same time, Hank, you talk about those old Rangers teams, and I always said we can't always depend on Lunkbiss back in those days. And, well, that could end up being the Hurricanes' downfall. I, I do agree they win against the, the Islanders, but when they get matched up with a Rangers or a Devils or somebody in that second round. And also, that, let's that not forget, them not making a move at the deadline really is going to come back to haunt them. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, top-seeded teams in the East, Boston and Florida. Now, Hank, I think Boston wins the series easily. The question oh, is... Oh. And- and and uh, Johnny and I debated about this on ETV. Is Boston going to make a deep run like Johnny like Johnny believes, or they can make it to the finals, or are they going to be yet another case of the President's Trophy curse? Because I believe they will be a President's Trophy curse. I think they will too. Because as great as they've been, and look, I'll give them all the credit in the world for the for the great season that they have. They three regular season wins, new record. Yes, and. David Pasternak is absolutely fantastic. One of, I believe, five active players to have a 60-goal season. Fun fact for you. Mm -hmm. And you still have some of the other members of the old guard, like Marchand and um, Bergeron and whatnot. I think this is Bergeron's last year, actually. They are a bit on the older side, and at the same time, this is pretty much now or never for the Bruins, or at least we think. But... Mm -hmm. I, at the very least, I don't see them losing the first round. If they lose the first round to the Florida Panthers, then 
then they really have to consider rebuilding. But give the Bruins there. Uh, Toronto and Tampa Bay. Hank, do the memes come back? <laughs> this is going to really surprise you, and I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh-oh. I actually think the Leafs win this in seven. Oh, Hank, I can't, I can't go away from them. Simply because I can't go away from the memes, I'm saying the Lightning in six. Well, that and, I don't know, the Lightning always just seem to, the Lightning always just seem to have a spark. No wordplay intended come playoff time. I, I mean, look, I don't, I don't I hate, hate the idea of you picking the Lightning. In fact, I would not be the least bit surprised if the Lightning win this series because I've often said experience matters. But at the same time, is this Lightning team better than the good ones of years past? Not really. And there's also this. I think with all the talent that they have, sooner or later, the Leafs have to win a series. Now, granted, do I think they're going to beat the Bruins? Well, that's a discussion for another day. But with that that having been said, I think a blind squirrel eventually finds its nuts. (laughs) All right. Uh, And then the big one, Devils and Rangers. Hopefully, by the time this is all finished and recorded, I will have gotten out of uh, Mid-Enchil Center in one piece. (laughs) But, um, But in any event, this on the surface is a series that looks like it can be a coin flip. And I kind of said that in that blog that I made, even though if you could yeah. tell in my blog, I showed a lot of my Ranger bias, but oh, I'm not, well, my, my, I, I kind of agree, Hank. And I'll, I'll just say, I think this is a second round series. This guy's the first, I think whoever wins this series can get past Carolina and make it to the final. Oh, I completely agree. And let me just say this. I think this the series comes down to this. Number one, goaltending. Because if you look at the offense that both of these teams have, the Devils have Jack Hughes, who is pretty much a star. I mean, he had his breakout season, 43 goals, 99 points. And I feel like any other year, you probably could have seen his name in the Hart Trophy talks, but... He's also been outshined by guys like, say, a David Pasternak and a Connor McDavid. So he's not really going to win that trophy, but I could see his name in the conversation for years to come. He has been the key that has been lighting up that offense. And you also got other names in there, such as Timo Meyer, who was a good trade deadline acquisition for them. And they better hope that they re-sign him during the offseason. Jesper Bratt and Nico Hishir are other good compliments as well as well as um, uh, Dawson Mercer, too. So I think their offense definitely is fine. And as far as um, and getting Andre Palat in the offseason was also good because he was another warrior from those Tampa Bay Lightning teams. Mm-hmm. And defensively, they're all right with Dougie Hamilton and Marino. However, let me get back to the goalies. Who are you going to trust in seven games? Vitek Manachek? Or Igor Shuster, or let me let me do what I usually do with Tom Scavetta. <laughs> Igor Shusterkin, Vitek Vanacek, Igor Shusterkin. Ah, yeah. Give me the Rangers to win this one, probably in seven, because like I said, the Devils are really good too. And the other thing I think is going to be a factor here: a lot of the Rangers, including their kids, 
know the taste of having gotten so close to the cup finals just one year ago. I think you're going to see them be extra motivated. I think the hunger is going to be there and that, that has to be considered in there too. And not to mention you added in Vlad Tarasenko and Patrick Kane and the next two guys who are both superstars who have won Stanley cups. Mm -hmm. Give me the Rangers. I mean, that kind of question plays a role, Hank, in both this matchup and in the Toronto-Tampa Bay matchup of how much experience matters. Because my point on right. the Lightning was that, you know, this is the team that has coming off of three straight Eastern Conference championships and nearly gotten three straight Stanley Cups. Yeah, two and just fell short of the third straight. Here with this situation, yeah, there are there are those members of the Rangers who came so close and yet so far. And I mean it kind of stinks that the Devils have their breakout season now and not another season from now. Otherwise, this would be a pretty, you know, clear path. I say clearer path, not clear path, because I do agree this is going seven games because, Hank, I mean, you know this pain as a Rangers fan as I do. They never make it easy on themselves in the playoffs. Tom, do you want to know how how sure I am that the series is going seven? How, How sure? Did you place a bet? No, during my lunch break, I bought my Game 7 tickets at Prudential Center already. Wow. And and basically, because I'm banking on the fact that, pun intended, if the Rangers, uh, if it goes to Game 7, I go to the game. If it doesn't, then I get reimbursed. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, Hank, this is going to be quite the take. I think not only does the winner of this game make it to the Eastern Conference Final, I think the winner of this game plays for the Stanley Cup. I honestly think so. I think the Devils have a lot of momentum on their side. I think the Rangers can get by anybody. I think the Devils and the uh, Bruins are the two toughest matchups that they can get past them. I I, I think it's, uh, you know, well, obviously if they get past them, it'll be a Stanley Cup for them. But if the Rangers, I can't even say if they get past them because... Who knows what happens with the Bruins? Maybe they prove to be a President's Trophy curse and they don't make it to the final. If the Rangers can outlast, my point is the Devils and the Bruins, they play for a Stanley Cup final. The Devils, however, have a lot of momentum, and I could see them actually going to the Cup this year. Here, man, please. We have been waiting so long for this, man. I know. I'm sorry. You you just know I had to fantasize. I mean, a, a guy can dream, right? I've I been know. I, I'm dreaming, too. So I've been my waiting like 27. I mean, I know 29 technically, but for me, 27, because that's how old I'm going to be in July. Mm-hmm. Good Lord, I'm getting old. I mean, I'm surprised. My, I'm, I'm still surprised. Hey, I'm turning 29 in November. Shut up. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I, I was born. I was born a few months after their Stanley Cup in 94. So I, I, I can basically be, say I'm a curse for this team at this point. Uh, what? No, I, when I had that face go up, I just had the sirens go off in my head. <laughs> I think, I, I don't know. It's like brain saying devil's heart saying Rangers. I don't know. This one's going seven games. I, I, it has to, it's like, it's, it's basically this series and, um, on the West, uh, Dallas, Minnesota are going to be the ones that go seven I, games. Listen. Let me just say this. Any other year, you wouldn't be seeing me like feel so good about the Rangers' chances. Now, like, 
like, let me put it this way. If you, if I'd known you in 2012, 2014 or 2015, I don't know that you would have seen me feel this good about their chances. I'm dead serious. And mm-hmm. You knew me in 2022. You don't remember me being that confident about their chances that year, do you? I know. No, Ex- I my point exactly. I was even in 2015. While I liked their chances, like I wasn't like. I, I guess know. I'm just scared, Hank, because all these moves and all this hype, and this could very well end up in the first round playoff elimination because of the NHL's playoff format. And again, I don't, I don't disagree with you because, like I said, I'm used to disappointment. I, Lord knows. Lord knows I've known it since like 2006. So there you go. My thing is, and I have why I'm nervous about the cup, if they even get there is because my, my Western conference prediction, by the way, if you didn't see it on ETB, I don't know what yours is going to be here, Hank, but my prediction was Colorado over Edmonton in the Western conference final. And I think Colorado has a very dangerous chance of repeating as the cup champions. Although if the devils make it in, I think they are the one team that could have a shot at beating them. I have. I, I know. I know. Johnny's. Uh, Johnny was tempted to say, you know, that Boston could put up a fight, but even he, I think he in the end picked Colorado over Boston. I actually think Vegas could upend the Colorado Avalanche. Really? Uh, I mean, I they do have a strong team. I think Vegas is a strong team, and also, I was talking about this with uh, Jennifer not too long ago. Mm-hmm. We both would not be surprised about the possibility of Dallas beating Colorado in the second round. Could you imagine if you're the Dallas stars finally getting back to the cup? Well, I mean, they did, they did get to the cup not too long ago, but that was in the bubble, the bubble season. I was going to say that's that, that was COVID season. I'm talking about a, I can't even say legit, but I'm not talking about like a full season and playoff. No, no, no. The last time they got it in like what we would consider a normal season was when they had those back-to-back appearances in 99 and 2000. No yes, goal. Yes, that but Brett Hull's foot may have been in the crease, but they still were. But let's be real, Buffalo was never going to win that series. Yeah. And then 2000, when they had to lose to the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Jason Arnett. All right. So, do you have any other predictions you want to make, Hank? All I'm going to say is this is my last. This is probably going to be my last day of peace for a while. And this is probably the last time you're going to see my face, like with even, even some sort of clean. It's, you can already see the, I'm trimming trimming tonight. I am trimming tonight. Uh, -uh. I'm leaving, I'm leaving it up. You're going to see me like fully bearded, hopefully by June. I I am trimming tonight and I'm going to go as long as I can. It kind of stinks when you are a teacher and graduation next month is going to be held outdoors on a probably very hot spring day. Well, this is what we do as Ranger fans, you know? I know. (laughs) All right. A couple of MLB stories I want to touch on before we wrap things up here on Game On 50. Hank, uh, actually, uh, I I bring the headline here, but I'm I'm just going to do it right now to get it out of the way. It's time for another edition of good old Rob Manfred. So, Hank, Cody Bellinger. He signed with the Cubs, hoped to have a little rebound season to try to get back to MVP form, right? So mm-hmm. the Cubs were visiting the Dodgers this past weekend. And it was the first time Cody Bellinger had visited the Dodgers since the signing and his release, his release and signing with the Cubs. And the Dodger fans stood up, gave him a standing ovation. Everyone's cheering him. 
you know, still former MVP, helped lead them to the 2020 World Series during the pandemic. And then all of a sudden, Hank, during the ovation, strike! The pitch clock had run, and it had run out to the eight-second mark, and Bellinger wasn't ready because of the ovation. And according to, basically, the interpretation was that the umpires, for something like that to happen, a standing ovation or something like that, the umpires have to be informed ahead of time. Otherwise, it is up to them if they want to just have the pitch clock running or not. And I guess the Dodgers and Cubs were not prepared or did not tell the umps, and therefore the umpires, this umpire and crewing decided to just let the pitch clock go, and Bellinger was just like, all right. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. You're telling me that the umpires weren't prepared and should have been told? I'm sorry, what? Cody Bellinger was coming in. Unless you live under a rock, you know he was a fan favorite with the Dodgers. Why do you need to be prepared by by the home team for somebody's ovation? And you know who I'm blaming for why I'm even getting on this outburst? Rob Manfred! Good old Rob Manfred! (laughs) Because, Hank... All right, we got to get moving. We got to, you know, we got to have these uh, lower games, you know. I mean, the, there was a Boston-Anaheim game that went an hour and 57. We need more games like that because we need to take away from moments like that. We need to take away a moments, you know, like the potential curtain calls for the likes of, you know, Anthony Volpe and such. We have to take oh, all those man. moments away. Well, yeah, and we also need fans to come to our games, watch them sit in their get their butts in their seats because... It's all about the money. Oh, I wasn't. I wasn't ready for that one. <laughs> Just like the um... yeah. You, you mean the fact that beer sales in some stadiums are now expanding to the eighth game because they're starting to realize these MLB teams. Ah, uh, you know the um. You know we have we can pay our workers less because the games are going less, but that means you know less time for concessions. We're losing some revenue. Well, fortunately for yours truly, I've given up alcohol, so I, I don't have to worry about that. Well, I, I talk about anything, beer, uh, drinks, uh, chicken tenders, pretzels, chips, the water bottles that probably cost a hell of a lot, because I this think the water bottles in Yankee bl- Stadium, I went to Yankee Stadium with like $8 each or something, because we got to pay for all these contracts that we have, that John Carlos Stanton can't uh, be healthy enough, but that's besides the point. As you have no idea... As much as I will be a fan of this team the rest of my life, you have no idea how much I want to rip on our front office. And, oh, trust me, I have had a lot to say about them over the years. And there's a reason why I'm now just going to get a Rocky sandwich before any Yankee game I go to. Again, Rocky sandwich, you'd, you'd have to be from Westchester if you even know what I'm talking about. But they're pretty damn good. But my point is, I, I understand the pitch clock. And, and I admit, I have... Last week, Hank, we talked about how used we are to it, how good it was, you know, how it didn't really take away from the game. But it, but it was concerns like these, that moments like these are going to be taken away. And I feel like a moment like this has to be an exception. Yes. Yes, it does. Because there's a reason why the fans think of this as America's pastime. And one of those reasons is because they becomes fans of these players. And when they leave, they want to give those players that special moment. 
don't punish him by giving a stripe and potentially ruining the game. Come on. And 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 it's actually moments like these, Hank, where it's it shows how baseball isn't the national pastime anymore, it seems, in America. You know, there's still a part of me that likes to think of it as the national pastime, but I agree. Even I, I, I still del- think even I can't delude myself. A certain James Bond villain has done a lot to ruin that perception for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh one more story we'll get into with uh with uh MLB, the Tampa Bay Rays, the streak is over. The streak ends at 13 games, and then they drop two to the Blue Jays. They were on a losing streak. You lose one, you lose two. See, this is a losing streak. That's <laughs> the opposite of what um the Cleveland Indians manager said in Major League, if you Major remember that League, movie. My freak, one of my freaking favorite films of all time, Major League and Major League Two. Uh, I, okay, I may have butchered that line, but you, you get what I mean. I know, but they, I know they did... They did uh, bounce back and win again. So now they're at, um, incidentally, they have the same record as the 86 Giants, 14-2. and two. Yep. I, I mean, you can't take away anything. They they have shown that they are going to be a tough cookie to break in the AL East. And the AL East is, again, going to be one of the most competitive divisions here. And all I'm going to say is, as a Yankee fan, uh, we better get pitching ASAP. Carlos Rodon, please come back to our rotation. Please, please come back. We we need more depth in that rotation. And every time I see Clark Schmidt pitch, it's like, oh man. All right, I think that's gonna do it for episode number fifty of Game On. So congratulations to you and Johnny Hank on fifty episodes, and here's to another fifty plus more with this with this show. You know, and hopefully when we reach the century mark, we get Johnny on this time around. But well, I'm hopefully, sure, hopefully I'm Johnny sure I can speak for uh, Johnny when I say there probably will be an open invite for uh, you and or Nick Morgison, I would say. That would be fun. That would be fun. All right. That's going to do it for episode number 50 of Game On. As I did uh, to before, make sure to follow across the social media pages. At Game on ETV, at Game on underscore ETV, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, make sure to follow the network, the Empty Defense Network, at ETV Network, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you are listening to us on the audio-only platforms, make sure to go to YouTube.com slash ETV Network to get our video feed. If you're on our video feed, make sure to, you know, listen to the show on the audio-only platforms, that your favorite podcasting platforms, including Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Acast, and more. Go to etvpodcast.com for more information about the network, as well as blogs from some of your favorite hosts, including Hank himself over here. Uh, let's see if I hit everything. Uh, uh, you can find our so- own personal social medias on the little bottoms of our uh, name banners. Johnny's is at Montalbano NY. Hank is Ranger Hanky 96 I'm Tom Michelle Bano. Uh, I mentioned this earlier, by the way. So just to give a little information, hopefully Johnny is back next week. If broadcast info for game on is to be determined. Johnny will be on, uh, will be taking my place on empty the bench this week, this Thursday, 3 PM Eastern. Uh, there will be no empty the bench next week. A certain game on will still have an episode, but empty the bench will not have a show next week because Johnny, myself and Nick Morgison will all have a NFL draft, a live stream 
when on the night of the NFL draft. So it'll start around the same time the NFL draft starts, April 27th, that Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. So hope to see you all there. And yeah, I think that's everything. So yep, yep. Hank, pleasure celebrating 50 episodes with you. For Hank and Dictor, I'm Tom Alvano. We'll see you next time on Game On. Take care, everyone.